Ooh. It's on to Philadelphia for the divisional round of the NFC playoffs. As the New York Giants take care of business against the Minnesota Vikings. We have your happy recap coming up next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of the Locked On Giants podcast is presented by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projections, you can win up to 10 times the amount of your money on in any entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena, joined by former NFL scout David Turner. And ladies and gentlemen, 31-24, New York Giants beat the Minnesota Vikings in the wild card round. That means it's on to Philly next week. We'll talk about that a little later, but David, the Giants won a playoff game oh my god if i had told you this at the start of the year would you have believed me no i don't think either one of us would have believed those words coming out of your mouth i think it would have been a hundred percent like oh hushy you know what 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 dream are you wor- working in so uh this was <laughs> no this was honestly we both said it last week though after the game we felt the giants could win this game i thought they went in with an excellent game plan for 90% of the game, there was about 10% where I started to get nervous. Uh, and then, but they closed it out. They did a fantastic job. They got to earn their kudos. They got them. And you know what? Don't celebrate too hard, Giants fans, because, you know, like you said, we got to go to Philly and win one down there to keep in this, you know, keep in this uh, hard road to the Super Bowl. Actually, the hard road to Arizona coming down here. <laughs> the Super Bowl's down here this year. But um, they, you know, I, I think there's a lot of good stuff to talk about in this game here. There definitely is. And I think we've got, you know, before we get into the game plan and what they did differently and what you liked and what you didn't like, let's talk about some individual performances. Daniel Jones, we've got to start there. 17 carries, 78 yards on the ground, 17 carries. Holy smokes. I got, and I knowing you, I have a feeling that's something you didn't <laughs> like. Um, but more importantly, the passing game, 24 of 35, 301 yards. Um, he threw two touchdown passes. He had a long of 47, was sacked three times, and he had a couple of drops, including that near-fatal drop by Darius Slayton. But overall, another solid game by Daniel Jones. You know, David, you worked in personnel, obviously, throughout your career. How much more money is Daniel Jones making for himself with his play these last few weeks? Well, he's making himself, I mean, absolutely millions of dollars because the Giants – because they didn't pick up his option, right? And so he's sitting there. They could have had him at a bargain of a deal now. They would have picked up that option and would have thought about that if they would have recognized that he's actually a very good fit for Dabo's offense, as we talked about when they, when Dable first came over, how, you know, Dable is a real skillful tailor. 
He's going to tail tailor this offense for Daniel, right? And he's done that. We've seen multiple receivers come in, and Daniel still have success. Daniel's able to run, much like he did with Josh Allen up in Buffalo. That works for him, right? Then we have Barkley catching the balls out of the backfield and doing some great things there. So, again, there's multiple ways in which this offense really fits Daniel Jones. The Giants could have picked up that option and had a bargain deal right now because the deal that he's about to sign is going to make him a very wealthy man. Yes, indeed. Now, David, let's look at the offensive game plan. This The first time they played the Vikings, it wasn't balanced. It was more heavily slanted towards the pass. Understandably so, because the Vikings have a you know not-so-good pass defense. This time around, it was a little bit more balanced. It was 30 runs to 35 pass attempts, um, 142 yards on the ground, and like I said, 301 yards in the air. Um, I know one of the things besides the fact that Daniel Jones ran 17 times uh, that you didn't like were some of the jet sweeps that, that were going on. But tell me some of the things that you did like about the offensive game plan. What I loved about the game plan is that they distributed the ball across all the all the receivers. OK, it was um, Hodgins had his nine targets. Uh, Slayton had eight targets, which, you know, I love having those top receivers get their targets right. Um, 100% on board with that. But then the Barkley got some targets, which was great. Six, I think, of them. And then uh, Bellinger only had two, and and Cager had two. I want to see the tight ends pick that up by at least three more targets for the tight ends. But, I mean, again, distributing it across the board really well in the past game. Running the ball, I was frustrated today. I really was frustrated today because Barkley – should have gotten the work, the bulk of that work, especially when they had they got down to the goal line and Daniel had run like you know three plays in a row or something. He was just tired. I mean, he's not built like that, guys. You got to not call him three plays in a row. And then late in the game, the the one drive where Gilliam wound up hunting, I was like, that should have been a very run heavy with Brita and Barkley controlling the clock starting to wear wear down this uh, you know pass rush that have been coming you know and it's like okay they're a little gas let's lean on them now let's run the ball downhill inside power traps let's get a little outside zone let's get you know i think i text you at one point i was like here's the game plan for this drive you know um but they didn't do it and they went they stayed with the pass and they wound up you know running daniel too many times like i said I'm not a big fan of running Daniel. They were leaving him un- unaccounted for a lot today, so I get it. Barkley cannot have nine touches running the ball for us to be successful. Barkley needs to have in the teens, not 13, like in the teens for us to be successful, not only next week, but anytime in the future in the playoffs here, because you have to control the clock and keep your opponent's offense off the field. With that being said, today we didn't do well with that. You know, we did okay, but at the same time, we were letting them come back on the field. And it's like, man, you just got to keep the ball out of that offense's hands. They they have been shown to be the cardiac kids and and score late in the game and you know win games late. I mean, they've come back. I mean, I just felt that there were two drives where they did not stick to their identity, which is running the ball and and make sure that clock was winding down and and getting that that uh that first down one after another by running the ball the giants winning the time of possession battle 33 36 to 26 24 they had an 
almost an 11 minute drive. I think in that second quarter, it started mm. in the first quarter. I mean, that was a beautiful drive. The Giants, I don't, I don't think ever uh, lost the lead. I, th- I don't think they were ever behind. I think they were tied a couple of times, but um, the lead changes. Let me see. Uh, no, no, because Minnesota came out, scored in their opening drive, went up seven nothing. Yeah, okay, yeah, they were behind. And then more. after okay. that, the Giants after that, took yeah, the lead. That's right. They didn't that's relinquish right. it. Yet. You're right. You're right. You're right. That was so long ago, but um, so yeah. I mean, besides that, I thought the Giants they ran a lot of misdirections and stuff. You know, I I just thought the the times that they did run the ball, they were effective. And I'll tell you, some of these you know bootlegs and. And the RPOs and zone reads and design runs that they had for Daniel Jones, it was like, you know, it fooled me. I mean, it, it also fooled the, t- the TV camera be- who's supposed to keep their eye on the ball. And just, you know. I'm going to tell you, I've seen the Statue of Liberty play run a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And most times it's a fumble. So when I saw them run it, I was like, oh, no. And then it was a beautiful handoff. And they got like four or five yards on it. And it was it was perfect. Like, I was like, you know what? Kudos for you to run that play because as a true, you know, fan of football that I am, the Statue of Liberty is one of the, you know, all-time great plays that's ever been designed just because it's fun. And they pulled it off and executed it perfectly today. I'm not into these jet sweeps. I think the jet sweeps are hit and miss with the way we we block them. You know, I much rather us being a downhill football block or run, you know, power football team I think we do really well, like I said, with inside zones, I power football, traps, traditional, you know, type football. When we start getting crazy and doing these new era stuff, we just don't have the personnel, in my opinion, to run the jet sweep to perfection. Mm-hmm. I think they want it part of their offense, but I think they do way better taking a note out of San Francisco's playbook where they don't run a lot of jet sweeps. You know, they they literally run downhill, power football, and in time, inside uh, zones, traps, and powers inside. That is something I think we could really do well against the Eagles with. I know we're not getting ahead of ourselves, but I think the Eagles' run defense will struggle with inside zones, powers, and runs, and traps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now let's talk a little bit about the passing game. You know, at one point it looked like they were running the same type of crossing patterns, mesh patterns, uh, especially early in the game. Um, We mentioned Isaiah Hodgins. He was the leading receiver, eight catches, 105 yards. Love that kid, by the way, as I told you before we started taping. Um, You know, Kenny Galladay was on the field as as, uh, a decoy through a great block, by the way, on one play. I mean, just he really took out his his, any frustration on, uh, on, on the Vikings there. Um, and as you mentioned, the distribution, what is it about, you know, the passing game? The passing game just has such, it's looked so much better these last several weeks. What is it about that that you think is just, you know, come together for this team? Trust and consistency. So Daniel's having consistently the same receivers on the field. So now he's starting to trust them a little bit more, especially Hodgins and Slayton. Like, even though Slayton dropped that ball late because he took his eyes off it and he was looking for the hit, he was waiting for that safety to come down and hit him because uh, they had played a lot of two and he was waiting for that you know guy to come hit him and that's what he was looking for. And when the guy wasn't there, I think that kind of threw Slayton off because that was he catches that ball and that might have been another touchdown. He, there's nothing but green grass in front of him. Yeah. Um, but I think the consistency in having Bellinger, Hodgins, Slayton, and James on the field 
is giving Daniel a, a greater confidence on where to put the ball, where the receivers can catch it, um, you know, who to trust, all that kind of stuff. So that's something, again, throughout Daniel's career, he's had a, a mishmash of people on the field, you know, due to all the injuries. And earlier in the season, you know, again, mishmash of people who uh, started consistently with some injuries. Now we got Hodgins missing way through the year. They're getting a rhythm. It looks really fantastic. So I think this is in what I think, you know what Hodgins is, who Hodgins is starting to remind me of? Who? He's a guy in New Orleans. Not Michael Thomas. Yes. That Ooh. crossing route for Hodgins. Wow. Like if, cause he's such a big body individual, right? That when you, if you can get him on that crossing route with Slayton doing a clear and James doing a slant or a shallow cross, to, it's, it's that old Sean Payton offense. That big body crosser gives Daniel mm-hmm. such a big target that it's hard and it's hard for, and he's got a good speed. He doesn't have great speed, but he's got good speed to run away from coverage. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking at him and I'm like, man, if we can adopt some of that Sean Payton offense here, where you're just hitting them on cross, you know, middle to you know far end crossing routes like they did with Michael Thomas throughout his career and Isaiah and Colston before that, you know, it, it's gonna be it's gonna open this offense way up because then you they get used to him doing the crossing route, then you just bend him up, you know, he does like a little little dig and go, and boom, the safeties are flying downhill to hit him, and he runs right by him, and now you're over the top, like. I started getting excited thinking more and more about Hodgins when I watch him watch when I watch him do routes. And I'm, today I was thinking, man, he looked a lot like Michael Thomas for sure. Yeah. Oh, interesting comparison. That's that. I mean, not a bad comparison to make, I guess. So, all right, listen, David, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got to talk about the defensive performances because I'm sure there were things you liked and things you didn't like about the defense. And a burning question that I have to ask you about the defensive performance. So uh, we'll get to that right after this. Hey, Giant fans, playing daily fantasy based on player projections has never been easier than when you visit prizepicks.com. Pick two to five players, and if they go on to score more or less than a prize picks projection, you win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. PrizePix is currently operational in over 30 states and in Canada, and they offer projections on every sport. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and PrizePix offers safe and fast withdrawals. Download the PrizePix app today or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. Don't forget to enter that promo code LOCKEDON at sign up at prizepicks.com. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be challenging and put a strain on our mental health when things happen beyond our control. Seeking the expertise of a licensed professional to help guide us towards a resolution is key to overcoming life's ups and downs. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey. And if you find that you're not a match to your assigned therapist, you can switch at any time. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today and get 10% off your first month. That's better, 
H-E-L-P.com slash locked on betterhelp.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Locked on Giants podcast. I'm Patricia Trena with David Turner, former NFL scout, and we're talking Giants playoff victory. Oh, gosh, <laughs> that sounds so good. That sounds so good. Something we haven't had in like six years. Oh, my goodness. Well, 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 uh, you know, overdue, long overdue. And, and uh, David, before um, I get into the defense, I just want to give – I know some people are wondering about the injury situation, so I just want to uh, give everybody a quick update um, because I did get a note uh, or a text, I should say, from the Giants PR staff. Aziz Ojolari is going to have some additional tests done. Um, he had a quad injury. Uh, so hopefully that's just a contusion, which, you know, shouldn't be something that's long-term. The uh, the more, I guess, concerning, although all injuries are concerning, so don't get me wrong, but the, the more um, pressing injury, I guess, was uh, Jason Pinnock, who was hit in the chest um, on, a, on a special teams tackle. The Giants say that Pinnock was checked out at a local hospital for an, adop- for an abdomen injury, returned to the locker room and is flying back with the team and was feeling much better. So good news there with Jason Pinnock. Of course, we'll see what happens during the week. Ojulari and Pinnock, the only two significant injuries of note that we know of to come out of this game. So, you know, the Giants went into this game completely healthy. I mean, all their scratches this week were, were all healthy scratches. Let's hope that they have Ojulari, who's been snake bit this year, unbelievably, and Pinnock back for next week's game. So, all right, David, let's talk about the Giants' defense and the job they did. And before I ask you about what you liked and what you didn't like, I've got to ask this burning question. What does this team have to do to stop the darn tight end? <laughs> 10 catches, 129 yards. I mean, Hawkinson looked like he was going to kill him again. What I know. They, what we, are they not doing to stop this guy or any tight end for that matter? Well, again, like we talked about it last week, I said the tight end, you got to cover him this week. You, he's going to kill you. And he almost had the exact same catches and yards that he did in the first week or the first match. You know, I think he had 139 yards there and 12 catches or something. So, um, yeah, Hotches, they got to be physical with the tight end. They got to get up and they got to hit them and they got to pound them and they got to just commit one player and maybe rotate which player it is, but just absolutely be physical with the tight ends. You know, the, the tight end doesn't like to be physical. Yeah, they block, but watch how they block. You know, they're not like, you know, pancaking people. They're standing in the way. So if you get up on the line and you just hit this guy constantly throughout the game, rotate who it is, go after him, just say we are posting this guy on the uh, – we used to call it posting. We're just sticking him in the ground. We're posting him in the you know on the offensive line. He is sticking there. He is staying there. It will ruin the timing. Any kind of leak pass or anything will wind up being shorter because he can't get into his route. And then, and then your secondary can rally and come tackle the guy. When you just let that guy get a clean release off the line, that's going to cause problems throughout whatever offense you have. And look at the rest of the road. You know, Philly's got their tight ends. You know, San Francisco's got Kittle. Um, So, you know, Dallas has got their guy, and so does Tampa Bay. So, you know, it's not Gronk anymore, but they still got Odo, who, you know, is turning into a nice little target for Tom Brady. So when you look at the the tight ends here, this is – the. The NFC is a place that tight ends do flourish. You got to be able to be physical with those tight ends at the line of scrimmage and and post them. You got to just leave them there. You got to 
hit him all the time. You know, whether it's even, you know, I don't like what's about to come out of my mouth, but even if it's five, just hitting the tight end five times a game, and then you have 51 hit the tight end five times a game, then you had Collins hit the tight end a few times a game, you know, like just keep hitting the tight end. Um, and then he won't want to come off the line because he'll start looking for the hit, which will slow down his routes, which will slow down him getting into it, which will shorten his routes, giving you the ability to rally to come hit him. Um, and tackle him if he makes a shorter, you know, play. The final play of the game today, that's what they did. They dropped, was it 29 McKinney into the box? Mm-hmm. He 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 got physical with them. They caught the ball, but it was a shorter catch because he couldn't release down to the sticks and get to where he needed to go. So for me, if you're going to cover the tight ends that are left in this you know, playoff matchups that are potentials and even the one you have next week, you got to get in their face and you got to out physical those tight ends. Now, one guy they were able to slow down was Justin Jefferson. He had nine targets, seven catches, 47 yards. Dory Jackson was back. You know, in the beginning, Jefferson looked like he was going to have his way with the Giants defense again, but they clamped down on him. What did they do differently this time with Justin Jefferson? Double and triple teamed him. They doubled and triple teamed him. I mean, that that young man worked hard today. He's going to sleep well tonight. And I I mean, I know I'm talking about an opponent, but I'm, you know what? We have to clap for him because he was frustrated, but he ran great routes all game long. He was just that Wink just said not today. Mm. That's where he drew the line. He's like, somebody else is going to have to beat us. It won't be Jefferson. And, you know, you watch him break. There was always somebody underneath and over top. And typically at in, in the, at the line of scrimmage, there was a third guy that was taking him like three to five yards. There was one. And then there was over top. There was two. So there was always two to three people committed to Justin Jefferson, which is why the tight end was able to work itself open. That's why on that one drive uh, was in the third quarter when they drove down. Jefferson didn't catch any balls, but Thielen caught some. Um, Hodgson caught some. Then the tight end went to Smith. Uh, when the, t- the touchdown went to Smith, you know, so they were working other angles. Now against Philly, Philly works other angles a lot. So that's that's why you know we doubling and tripling Brown or Smith is going to be a hard task because both those receivers can kill you, and they have tight ends and backs out of the backfield and then the quarterback can run too. So Now, interestingly, McKinney and Adore Jackson, both of whom weren't in the first game, but were in this game, ended up as the leading tacklers on this team. McKinney had eight combined tackles, including one pass breakup. Jackson, seven tackles. Okay, uh, didn't see it, wasn't credited with any pass breakups. How much different did their presence uh, make for Wink Martindale and how he called the game. Well, again, we watched McKinney in the back end. I watched him a lot. He was lining everybody up. It seemed like we weren't out of play too much. When they ran the hurry up down at the goal line, we were out of sorts because they put Je- uh, they put Jefferson in the backfield. And so three people kind of latched onto him and let Irv Smith leak behind him. And that's where the touchdown came, right? Um, but I think we... We knew where we were. Everything was lined up. And, Ado- I mean, Adoy Jackson being in the game gives Wink a lot of flexibility because he can put him on an island and let him go. Um, and he also knows that he's going to come up and run defense. And there's a physicality with him. You know, like we've talked about before, there's a real physicality with him in the run game and stuff. 
we didn't necessarily, I don't want to say I saw like, ooh, hits today, but it's his first game back. I think next week having those two in our defense um, and if we can get 51, you know, Ojolari back to mm-hmm. in playing significant third downs, even if he's not playing first and second downs, if we can get him playing significant third downs. Um, and today, look at 99. 99 showed up a ton, especially in the first half. That With second that quarter, I mean, he really showed up big time. If we get production like that out of him, then that gave 97 some, you know, uh, Dexter Lawrence some one-on-one uh, blocking, and he was just owning the the center when he was one-on-one. And that center spent more time in Kirk Cousins' lap than his wife probably does. I mean, <laughs> it was, like, unbelievable what Dexter ja- uh, or Lawrence was doing there. So, again, I think if we got the same production next week out of 99 and we can have Ojalary on some key third downs in there helping that pass rush out, it, it you know, it's going to be a really fun game to watch. You speak of 99 and 97, that Leonard Williams with two quarterback hits, Dexter Lawrence with four. The Giants had uh, 11 in this game. So that defensive front really taking advantage of that Minnesota offensive line and kind of was surprised at Bradbury, their center plate. I know he's had a bad back and, you know, Dexter Lawrence is is a lot to handle. I thought maybe they might go with a healthier guy, but uh you know, they well, decided his back to go got to... worse because he was on it a lot. I was going to say, I was going to say, yeah, handling Dexter Lawrence is, is, you know, that's no easy task. And by the way, what did you think of that penalty that they called on, on Lawrence? I'm so glad you asked because I was going to mention it anyways. That was the biggest BS crock I've seen. Well, not I've seen this year. They, they have to really knuckle down what the heck a, pa- uh, a rough in the passer is. Because the ball was still in his hands when he made contact with the individual, with the quarterback, he was trying to get him down. As soon as he was, the momentum of the quarterback was falling to the ground, he released the quarterback. He didn't bring him all the way down. He didn't swing him. He didn't pull him. He got the momentum, headed down to the ground, and he released him. Like, that has to be cleaned up because it's not the only one that's been called like that this year. There was one against Bosa in San Francisco that was very similar, and there was another one somewhere else that I can't think about. There were three of them. That's the third one I've seen called like that this year. And I'm like, what do you want the defensive tackle to do or the defensive player to do? Like, he literally let the guy go when the momentum was coming down to the ground. He knew he was going to get down. He didn't jump on him. He didn't pile on him. He didn't pull him down. He didn't twist him extra hard. And the ball was in his hand when he got made contact. Like, if the ball was gone and he did something like that, I might understand it. But the ball was still in his hand when he made contact, which means that that should should not be a pass interference or a rough in the passer call. By definition, the ball was in his hand. So, I, I, you know, I get tired of this and I, I'm not trying to bag refs because I know how hard it is for them. Like, trust me, I've, I've been in the game long enough, over 20 years, right? I know how hard it is and they miss calls. I get it. But this year, that rough in the passer call on that type of play where they're twisting them down is, is being called too frequently. And again, the definition says if the ball's in his hands, that does not count. And the ball was in his hand when he started the contact. I have a feeling that play is going to be reviewed by the league and maybe it'll 
not that it's going to help, and it didn't hurt the Giants in the in, in the end result, but I have a feeling that's going to get reviewed. I, yeah, I would, they're going to get an apology Giants, letter. It's going to be, I'm sorry. But again, going into the playoffs here, we need to define this, and we need calls to the, um, the referees like, hey, listen, we want to protect the quarterback, but this isn't pass interference or yes. rough the passer. Yeah, totally agree. All right, David, let's take our final break. When we come back, we're going to peek ahead a little bit to the Eagles. What needs to change in that game from the first couple of games that the Giants played? So, folks, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, Giant fans, have you ever wanted to show the NFL GMs how it's really done? Well, now you can by hooking up with Ultimate Football GM, where you have the final say over every aspect of your roster. Among the decisions you can make include hiring the coaches and coordinators, making trades, drafting, and free agency. All this done in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play on the go, as you want, when you want. We at the Lock On NFL Network are already competing against each other, and we've been having a blast doing so. We know you will, too, when you compete against your friends. So go ahead and get started. Locked On Giants podcast listeners can get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code LOCKEDON. That's in all caps, by the way. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app stores. Again, that's ultimate-gm.com, Ultimate Football GM. Start your dynasty today, and don't forget that promo code, locked on, all caps, one word. Hey, Giant fans, thanks for making the Locked On Giants podcast your first listen today. For your second listen, check out the Locked On NFL podcast, bringing you local insights that you love to the national spotlight with daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. Locked On NFL, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Locked On Giants podcast. You got Patricia Trena, host, and David Turner, former NFL scout, guest, and we're talking about the Giants. We are still talking about Giants game. It is January 15th as we tape this. The Giants are still playing. And they will play at least another week in the Philadelphia, against the Philadelphia Eagles in the divisional round. Road trip for those of us in New Jersey next week. And David, let's kind of spin ahead a little bit there. What are some of the things that the Giants have been doing down the stretch here um, that you have liked that you think will serve them well? in the game against the Eagles, which, you know, certainly won't be any, any small task, but you know, the giants are seem to be picking up some momentum. What are some things that they can carry over that you think can maybe make this game a little bit more competitive? Well, I think what works well for the giants right now is the, the distribution of the football in the passing game. And they really have to pick up their identity in that run game early and often. So for me, I would say they have to go back to their roots a little bit with that run game. Like today, Daniel Jones running the ball 17 times is not – that should be Barkley running the ball 17 times. And if Daniel runs the ball nine times, it is what it is. You know, I think against Philly, you need to see Barkley in that 17 times running the ball another four or five times catching the ball because he's a very dynamic player. I think he gives the Eagles a fit. I don't think the Eagles can contain Barkley. I really don't. Now, that being said, Daniel Jones probably will need to throw 30 to 32 times in the game 
and Bar and uh, Daniel Jones has yeah throw thirty to thirty two times probably in the game, and he'll have to be in that percentage where we've seen him before, where he's twenty eight of thirty two. Like he's got to be hitting his targets, and those receivers cannot be dropping the ball. They have to have one of their games where they have sticky, you know, stick them all over them, looking like old Belitnikov or something. You know, they got to just be able to reel it in do extra tennis ball work, whatever, put rice buckets out this week, get their hands stronger, whatever it takes, you know, old school stuff. Uh, Go chase some chickens like Rocky would do. We're going to Philly, right? I don't care. Just don't drop the ball this week Um, because it's going to, it's going to be a close game. If, if the giants are in, it's going to be a very close game and it's going to be a game in which, you know, the receivers are going to need to catch a ball, but the identity of this New York football giants team is that run game. And we have to establish that, like I said earlier in the show, traps, inside zones, outside zones, some good power football inside. Make that make that our identity early and often in the first half. It'll pay off a of play, play action in the second. What about, um, you know, and, and we talked about this a little bit. What about the tight end? I mean, just... Again, the tight end just continues to be a problem for this team. Aha! Hold on. Wrong tight end. Aha! Wrong tight end. The first, when you look at uh, Bellinger in, our, in the first matchup against the Eagles, he went three for three at 19 yards with a 6.3 average. We need to make the target to him at least six targets in this game. I don't think Philadelphia covers a tight end well. I think all year they've allowed tight ends to kind of own them. And that's something that if you watch our games against Philly and Dallas's games against Philly and other games against Philly, the tight end is a, is a gem is an absolute gem. And I think Bellinger needs to have that six target game right here in this game for us, because that will help with the play action. That'll help with the outside receivers getting their, their, their availability on crossing routes and and goes and all sorts of down the field between the number stuff, get that tight end six targets. That's the tight end we need to talk about. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Let's talk about Jalen hurts who still has that sore shoulder. And we saw in the regular season finale, didn't really do a whole lot of stuff that he's been doing, you know, all season long, probably to protect that shoulder a little bit. Um, how much do you anticipate that carrying over and how might that affect the how the Giants go after him? That is, I think what's, I think what's going to dictate that is how well is Sanders running the ball? Because the, the, the first matchup when we saw Sanders, and the Eagles, he ran 17 times for 144 yards and two touchdowns, right? Like, he owned us. And then Hurts was right behind him with seven carries for 77 yards. And that, I mean, they ran for 253 yards, and Scott got a little, you know, clean up there with 33 yards. Mm-hmm. The rest of them was Sanders and Hurts. If we can shut Sanders down, right, Hurts running around isn't going to, I don't think, kill us. I really don't. I think it's this, the effectiveness that Sanders had early led to their play action success, led to people focusing on Sanders and letting Hurst roll out. We stop Sanders with our defense up front. You know, if they play like they did today, like they did against Cook, who's a very good running back. I mean, they, they shut Cook down. Cook didn't even have, what do you have, like 52 yards or something today? 
So, let me see. I think it's something like that. Let me double check. Sounds about right. Yeah, Cook today had 60 yards even. So, yeah. you know, if, if, if Sanders has that kind of production, then I'm not going to fear Hurst, okay? Because mm-hmm. that'll put Hurst more into a pass style, you know, where we want him on third downs, passing the ball, throwing the ball, right? If we shut that first down run, you know, if we shut it down, then that's going to put Hurst in a passing situation, which he can light us up again. But they're a two-horse team. They really are a two-horse team. I know the tight ends there, they use them. They're very good at using them. But they're really a two-horse team. If you look at the way they target, go to overall stats, uh, Brown and Smith are their two leading targets by far. So these, the, you know, that's what they do. That's where they want to go. In the first matchup, they didn't need to target them or they didn't need to go to them too much. But still, out of the 217 yards, the two of them had 135 yards or something like that. So, you know, if we can stop Sanders, double team Brown like we did with Jefferson today, and then figure out how to stop Smith, <laughs> it's a big ask. I'm not, it's a big ask. The Eagles are built well. The Eagles are built well. Okay? Yeah, but the Giants' backups played them tough. You and I differ on that. <laughs> I, I think. I mean, they they played very vanilla. They didn't get they, blown out. They didn't get blown out. No, but again, like we talked about after that game, they played very vanilla. Both you know, both teams didn't show too much. Maybe on purpose. And I think it was because I think people were anticipating this right here. You know, it's kind of like what you see tonight with. Uh, the Bengals and Ravens, you know, last week they played. They didn't show too much tonight. Everybody's, you know, it's pulling all, all the tricks out. Yep. You know, you got to win. So next week you're going to see them pull it all out. I think we have to stop the running game of them while doubling Brown. If we double Brown and stop the run game, make Smith beat us, he can. Don't get me wrong. He can. But – like we saw with today, uh, you know, up in the Vikings, make somebody besides their stars beat us, and we'll be in a situation where we'll be in the ball game. The problem here is Hurst can run, and if Hurst uses his legs, you know, Cousins, we don't fear him running, right? right. He's going to be where he's at. Right. Hurst can run. So, again, I, I'm I'm telling, I in my opinion, stop Sanders. Let Hurst get a few yards. We used to do that with Michael Vick when Michael Vick was in the game. We let him get his few yards, but we made sure we stopped the run first and then forced Hurst or back then Michael Vick to beat us with his arm. That's a similar game plan I would take here. Stop the run, force Hurst to beat us with his with his arm. Going to be an interesting game, David. I mean, this is, I think, what the Giants were hoping for. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I know they won in Minnesota again and they got their wish and they took care of business. The Eagles going to be a little bit tougher customer, but regardless of what happens, I think if you're, you know, a Giants fan, a Giants follower, you got to be happy with the season and how it is gone because they never, I mean, I don't think very many people, if anybody outside of 1925 Giants drive figured the Giants would be in this position and what a job done by head coach Brian Dable and general manager Joe Shane, who, you know, helped assemble this talent despite having a bad salary cap situation. So it's just been an absolute fun year for everybody. It's so great to talk about a playoff game, let alone a playoff win. And uh, we'll just see what next week brings. It should be fun. Right now, as we record this, we don't know when the Giants and Eagles are going to play. I think that's going to 
They'll announce it probably after the Dallas Tampa game, I would think, right? That's going to determine it. I agree. I think they'll announce yeah. it after the game tomorrow night. We'll know where everybody falls into play. Yeah. Um, after that. And I don't even, why is there a Monday night playoff game? Like we I could go down know. that rabbit hole all day long. Cause I don't like that at all, but well, yeah. I'm dreading the night game. I, I have a feeling a sick feeling. The giants are going to draw a night game. I I'm telling you, if I'm doing the playoffs, that's, I mean, I'm probably putting them on a day game because I'll be honest uh, with you. I, I know what you're saying, but I'm saying if I'm doing the matchups, unless Dallas wins, then I could see Dallas getting the night game. Or although I'm, Dallas will probably play on a different, I would think on a different night. I would think. Well, you got the you would have the Niners versus Dallas or the Niners versus Tampa Bay. Brady going back to the Bay again. So there's some storylines there that I think that they might like for prime time. And the last time the Niners and the Tampa Bay played each other. It was kind of close. So, you know, I, I think that might be a storyline they like to lead, you know, leave it into. And then the other part of that is if you look at the the number one seed is what, uh, Kansas City? Yeah. So Kansas City um, is potentially probably going to be in that mix for maybe that night game, um, whatever well, day it is. Days. Don't forget, they're playing on Saturday and Sunday, so – I know uh, Sunday night right now we have an AFC Sunday night late game. So I'm thinking next week's going to be the NFC late game like you. So that would be the the San Francisco, I think, yeah. game, in my opinion. And then the then the Saturday game would be the Giants game, and that would be the early game. And then the nightcap on Saturday night would be Kansas City uh, playing. Well, I'm just hoping it's not a night game because everybody knows I hate night games. But whatever it is, it is because the Giants are in the playoffs – for at least another week, and we will be back here um, next week, obviously, talking about the game. So, David, as always, great stuff. Giant fans, make sure you keep it here on the Locked on Giants podcast all week long. We're going to do Twitter Tuesday tomorrow. You can send your questions to Locked on Giants podcast at gmail.com. It's on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, and we'll get them on the program on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Looks like I'm going to have a special guest for you guys, and it's going to be a current player. So uh, fingers crossed that that comes to fruition. Thursday will be the crossover show. I'm not sure if I'm getting Gino or Louie over at Locked On Eagles, but I'm getting one of those guys. And then Friday, Traina, Tana, and Dog. It's going to be a fun week here on the Locked On Giants podcast. And I want to thank you all for tuning in. As always, David, thank you for coming on with me. As always, Giant fans, we'll talk to you again tomorrow.